This is Comet Picks by the Glick. Yeah, I'm your host, Jason Glick. Hey, Jason, what's going on? Oh, not a lot, John. It's like, it took me a little while, but, you know, hey, I'm finally here to offer my thoughts on the best of last year, 2018. All right, well, let's get started, sir. Okay, first, I'm going to deal with the honor roll, like the stuff that was, like, really good, then, you know, just not quite good enough to um, make it. It's like make it onto my um, top ten list, and that includes um, Silver Spoon, which is like you know, the, like the manga about about this kid who um, like goes to a uh, goes to agricultural college, high school in it's like in Hokkaido, and um, like learns a lot of life lessons by some of the creator from Little Alchemist, Hiromu Arakawa, and I really liked it. Um, it's like I, but it's kind of but uh, but it was also just like you know, really good to the point where it's like I'm really more glad that it was like uh, finally available in English after a much longer than it should have taken to get over here. So, and there's also, um, Barakamon, the story of a, uh, it's like, it's like of this, uh, it's like of this, um, aspiring calligrapher who basically has to go over to a, uh, like a, like a, like a rural Japanese, Japanese Island and learns like lots of interesting life lessons and cult- cultural clashes with its r- rural natives, including it's this one, um, this one, like really energetic girl named Naru. Um, this is a series I've been following for a while, but this year, though, for whatever reason, I wound up buying eight volumes of it, to the point where I am almost caught up with it. And it's, like, there's only, I've only got two more volumes to buy to become current with it, and then two more after that um, are going to be released this year, where, like, that's going to be it. So, it's had, so I well, it's had a lot of good fun parts that I enjoyed. There are some parts of its current storyline that I just kind of like thinking are just kind of like, eh. But, um, you'll check to hear more about it once the final volume comes out. <clears throat> and I get, get caught up talking about it in it's like, you know, for, like, it's like it's been, cause it's been good, a lot, lot of good fun. It's like, and then there's also um, Rogan Gambit, Ring of Fire. Now, I don't talk a lot about X-Men it's like comics for the end of the year, because like, well, I'm a diehard X-Men fan. It's like, there's been a lot of stuff that's just been like, the ceiling for X-Men, like in recent years has been like good, um, rather than great. But, um, Rowan Gambit, um, this miniseries by Kelly Thompson and Ramon Perez actually did the impossible. Well, re- the really hard and actually getting me to care about this, um, long time X-Men relationship. It's like to the point where it's like, you know, like Thompson's working like, in like, um, like in, and reestablishing Rogue Gambit's relationship actually made a lot of sense to the point where their surprise wedding, it's like in X Men Gold Volume Six, made a lot of sense, and um, it's like and they and it actually got them their own series, which I'm very much looking forward to reading, like when it's collected. Then there's um Killer Be Killed, the latest in um, it's like in excellent collaborations by by Sean Phillips and Ed Brubaker, and also like Thanos Wins by Donny Case and Jeff Shaw. Which, you know, it's like, was a lot of fun, even though it's like the kind of thing that, you know, I imagine that while I really enjoyed, like, they're, like, they're gonzo, let's, like, you know, this storyline isn't going to matter, so let's just do something really crazy. It's like, this is how you approach, you know, how everyone should approach filler arcs, and, and, and it, and it's paid, like, many dividends for them to the point where they are now going to be, um, the new creators, like, um, on Guardians of the Galaxy going forth. And Kate says, um, is now one of the, one of the, um, is almost basically like an A-list creator at Mar- at Marvel at this point. It's like, this is, it's, it's like I said, it was a lot of fun. It's like, and something that, you know, it's like something that I re- that, you know, you want to check that I, 
that, that, you know, it's like if you want to see like how how interesting Thanos can be, you want to check out. And then there's like assassination classroom, like the series about a uh, about a synthetic being who was it's like it's like who was um who challenged his um failure, his um like his um his his F grade students to try and kill him. It's like that was that's been a manga that that for a while I thought you know represented a really good superhero Superman story until the um, setup kind of like until it was like revealed the guy's origin kind of killed that. But it's like the, uh, I was kind of, I was all but expecting to like put this as one of my um, favorite ser- series of the year, but the uh, final volumes, you know, had some really great stuff and some just really eh stuff at well. So like, it's like, I, it was a good wrap up, but you know, not quite good enough to make it to the end. Um, not like say um, blood blockade battlefront volume 10, which is a series that, you know, has for for a long time felt like you know an excuse for um, mangaka Yasuhiro Naitao, um, the creator of Trigon, just do whatever the hell he wants, and without any like you know, real real commitment to like to, like to like emotional or logical storytelling, but the final final volume really just did a good job of like you know tying things together and giving us a um, really good st- storyline focusing on like on its on its like I'm like on the rectum main um on our rectum point of view character of Libra um Leo and how he um has to fo- um rely on his own resourcefulness in order to save him from a from a threat that his regular that that his teammates can't perceive and then there's um Star Wars um Doctor Afra Volume Two Doctor Afra and the and the enormous prophet Kieran Gallen's um swan song as um as solo writer for that. For that series and just a lot of fun as as Afra tries to um auction off it's like the uh it's like it's like the intelligence of a uh it's like of a quasi of like of a um of a morally it's like of a morally ambiguous for, force user and all the uh, chaos that that results from from her efforts to do so both from like both are not just betrayal by um like by her murder droids, um, Triple Zero and BT, but also um, like how, how the chaos like slowly escalates to the point where someone someone um, key to the, to the franchise, someone tall, dark, and asthmatic, um, winds up having to show up and um, like and, and put his own stamp on, stamp on proceedings. It's a lot of fun and easily the best um, Star Wars comic of many um, that came out this year. But there you go. That's just the honor roll. Like for all the stuff that was like really good, it's like, like this is and this was like a, this is like a little harder than years past. It's like to um, nail down a, a uh, best of like a, an actual top ten. But here we go. So starting off at number ten, Amazing Spider-Man Worldwide Volume Nine. Basically, this is the go down swinging arc. Um, Dan Slott's finale to to Spider-Man after running after um, debuting as part of the Spider-Man Brain Trust. That um that gave us like a weekly um Spider-Man Amazing Spider-Man series for years, and then taking over like solo for like for like the past eight years as well, giving us well over a hundred um like Spider-Man stories, including like the time, including like stories like dealing with like you know the time like Sp- Doctor Octopus got got control of Spider-Man's mind and became the superior Spider-Man, as well as inspiring the uh, the Spider Verse. Um, doing the, as well as doing the Spider Verse story that inspired the um the great film we had over this this Christmas season. Uh, it's like worldwide on um, Volume Nine didn't um offer any like you know 
for any like you know really like surprising like you know twists in terms of like superhero plotting, but it did like you know a lot of stuff that was that was really impressive. It's like and just like had a lot of details that it's like that made the story memorable. It's like even if you knew like how things are going to go in the end, it's like it. It's like I said, it's it's like it was a it was a really worthwhile story with some great art. It's like that and some of the creativity that I live to see in superhero stories, as well as a final issue that, that really had like a good, a good quality emotional, emotional gut punch as it, as you get to see like, you know, what Spider-Man means to the people he's, he saves. So there you go. Um, like following up from that is number nine, the girl from the other side. This is a series that has, that has a lot of its puzzle box, um, moments, it's kind of a puzzle box in the sense that you kind of wonder, you know, like what, it's like, what are the outsiders? What, like, what exactly are, do, do they, like, what exactly brought them here? Why do they, um, like have this curse of turns, like regular humans, the insiders into, it's like into outsiders. If they touch them, why is there this one girl, Shiva, who, um, who apparently like is, is just a normal girl, but apparently like, is immune to the outsider's touch and may even like go communicate their, like their curse as well. And just, you know, how does, um, her guardian, this outsider known as a teacher, you know, it's like, it's able to maintain, um, his personality. It's like in light of like what happens to the, all the other outsiders around him, there's all sorts of questions that you can ask yourself about, about this and drive yourself nuts. Um, it's like thinking about, but, Really, the core of this series is the relationship between um, Teacher and Shiva. It's like it's not really a, uh, it's not quite a uh, like a parent-child relationship, but he's but he wants to try and keep her keep her safe from all of the people that that wish her harm or want to use her for their their own their own ends. But um, but even then, he, like, he's not flawless at doing this and shiva well you know she's a kid she like she on she has uh, like a child's understanding of this so so when um teacher does something that doesn't that you know seems morally questionable she's going to call him out according according to how she sees it and like this this relationship that they have together it's like it really it feels really genuine and it's like and it's the kind of thing that i want to see that you know i mean we could never any real answers to this like this is the puzzle box the puzzle boxes are never really meant to be solved but you know it's like you've got this like core relationship between the two characters that um that i really want to see that i'm more invested in than the mysteries surrounding them i want to see how that's going to turn out it's like in the end that's why i'm going to keep following it so there you go and then um number eight is um it's like is um, Silver Spoon's arguable partner in crime, another series that I've been following in scanlated form for a while, and I'm just, like overjoyed to see like finally get um, a legitimate print release in the states, and that would be Kaguya-sama, Love Is War. The reason this gets the nod over Silver Spoon is because while Silver Spoon like Silver Spoon's like tone is like you know is like thorough wackiness with um, occasional like hard drama to puncture to puncture it, Kaguya-sama. It's like has, it's like, is it's the kind of romantic comedy that you know by all rights I should be ashamed of liking because I am, uh, much much older than the main characters, 
like who are in high school and they are just like determined like to not admit that they like the other person but are trying to like convince the other person to admit their love for them cuz you know it's like love is war and the person who admits love so they're in love with someone like loses so so it's like it's it's a series that like not only just manages to subvert you know, your standard romantic comedy conventions but also manages to grow beyond them as well because what really keep gives the series its legs is its, its sole evolution into a it's like into an ensemble comedy as its main characters as as like see the stage to their to their friends and supporting cast cast as well and also the fact that you know there are parts when the series like really does like go for a dramatic moment such as when um Shirogane does um try try and um, give um Kag- Kaguya it's like um try to show her the fireworks and you're just kind of like Oh man, that's just so so great. That's so sweet, and it's like, oh, it's like it's so yeah. It's it's a lot of fun, and um, it's like it's like and the series and the series in Japan apparently seems to be reaching its climax just as the um, anime um, is debuting as it's like as we speak. So yeah, it's like the so yeah. I can assure you that not only is the series been like really great as it is, it's like it's going to be like just as fun going going forward from here on out. So then we come to number seven, which is another superhero title, and that would be All New Wolverine, Volume 5, Orphans of X. Um, Tom Taylor has done a really good job um, establishing establishing um, Laura Kinney, um, formerly, the character formerly known as X-23, who became, like, who adopted Wolverine's mantle like, in, like, after Wolverine's death and you know, I'm saying Wolverine's death in air quotes because, you know, he's back now and she's back to being X-23. But that aside, um, like, he did a, I, he did such a good job establishing her, like, as Wolverine, as the all-new Wolverine that I would have loved to have just, like, just kept seeing her, like, you know, like, be, continue to be this, be Wolverine from here on out. It's like, and um, Orphans of X is a great example of this because it's basically the story about the, but all these about the people who 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 basically who are basically um been wronged by by Laura back when she was you know in her like mind controlled assassin days, um teaming up to um get revenge on her, and you know you think like you know hey people getting revenge on Wolverine it's like well hey you know it's like Wolverine's the best there is at what he does so so you better watch out, and that's not what happens. Instead, um Laura um. It's like this is this is this is a story where Laura does where Laura Wolverine does not kill anyone, who basically she eventually like to just say uses the, the mean like the means at her disposal to try and to convince everyone like you know that that she's just as much a victim as they are, but but um but it wouldn't just be I wouldn't put this on my top ten list. If it was just like oh it's just her saying that she's a victim too. No, it's about um. It's also about the messaging in there as well. How Laura realizes that, you know, like like the other Wolverine types, including Sabretooth and Lady Deathstrike, who are kidnapped in this process as well, like they can't be a part of this because, you know, they complicate her message. That um in the end she's actually has to get like her friends, like, you know, or cohorts, um, Dakin, Old Man Logan, and Gabby to to do the whole, hey, you know, if you believed if if you were really as bad as you believed, you know we would have killed you all right now. So it's so it's so like it's something that, that 
that aims to be hopeful, but is also really smart about how how to present its message message as well. So yeah, and it's like, and I it's like I really enjoyed that, and I'm really kind of disappointed that um that Taylor like that 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 Taylor isn't gonna be writing um like like a Laura uh, as Wolverine going going forward from here because you know well she's now X twenty three again. So there you go. But that may not be a bad thing if what I've if what I've heard is about her first first arc of her new series is true and more on that um later. So but also like next up is is the last superhero title uh, on my list and that would be Invincible. This is like um Robert Kirkman's um story of Mark Mark Grayson and how he um became it's like how he um was just like this average kid who found out that he was like you know like the son of like the son of the the, the greatest super, superhero of Earth Omni Man it's like came to an end this year and it was a very very satisfying satisfying end as he it's like as he fought it's like it's like as he as he fought his like his, his arch nemesis it's like in like in the sun to the death it's like and then um took out then also dealt with um like the uh it's like one of his um main antagonists as well it's like um robot who like who had lots of good ideas but ultimately just you know just couldn't quite follow through on them like in the way that that was through that it's like that was that that worked well enough for for everyone but it was but this this is it's like for a series that for like a series that build itself as like you know possibly the best superhero like um Series series on the planet, it really it really did a job of living up to that for the ma- for the majority of its run, and also just the fact that you know it that 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 um that, that Kirkman, Brian Otley, and Corey Walker just felt felt the need like hey you know it's like like we're like we're gonna we we're gonna try to break all the superhero rules we can here, including the rule that all superhero comics like have to run forever. So in the end, like Invincible didn't run forever. It brought it it came to an end, and what an end it was! It's like thoroughly, thoroughly fantastic, and I loved it. So, moving up the list again, we have number five, which is Angelic Airs and Graces. Now, Simon Spurrier is a guy who um, loves to, uh, you know, it's like, it's like you know, do do stories that are, you know aren't quite about what you think. It's like what you think they are. It's like this is like the series about you know, it's like a monk, like a wink, like a winged monk. Winged teenage monkey teaming up with a, uh, with, with like a wall, it's like with a, a walrus who flies around in his, um, in his pod. It's like, it just sounds like weird weirdness when I talk, talk about this, but it's really just like, you know, like coming of age, coming of age stories. The, uh, like as this monkey like learns about the w- world around her, it's like it finds out that, that, you know, like everything she's been told, like hasn't been quite true, especially as we find out find out the truth about this world and that it's basically like, you know, the world that we live in and what, and what exactly happened to it that basically led to it, that led it to be inhabited. So by, by a bunch of, um, you know, winged monkeys, walruses and flying pods. Oh, and, um, and, um, cats who are, it's like, who are basically like, you know, who can basically like, I'm flying transport anywhere. Sounds really, really weird and scrutable, but, um, Spurrier and, um, and artist Casper Wingard, um, give it give it a lot, a lot of humanity and a lot of intelligence, to the point where it's like you know, 
It's like, this is like, you know, well, Spurrier, you know, may, like his, if he's got one thing that he can be, that they can be accused of having, it's like a sin of too much ambition in his works. But, um, Angelicus is the kind of story that, um, that shows you, that shows you what, what he can do when that an- ambition connect, like, connects with the execution. So, yeah, it's like, it's like, well, a lot of stuff he does is like, is definitely worth reading. Angelic is, um, it's kind of magic you get when, when Spurrier's, um, it's like ambition, like, you know, fire, like really fires and connects in all cylinders. So there you go. Now, number four is something that's probably going to be like a little unpleasant. And that's because like, Hey, you know, it's like, we say, hey, you know, it's like the, uh, the reemergence of, it's like, of, um, not, not CS thinking is something that's like the, the one of the more, more unpleasant and dire stories. Uh, like the last couple of years. And so, Hey, a story about, you know, about not, about superpower Nazis on turning the tide at the end of world war two. Oh man. That sounds like, like the last thing on earth that you'd want to read. And really, um, volume six of Uber by Kieran Guilin and Daniel Goethe. Um, sounds like that kind of thing that, that would just be like an exercise in like, in nihilistic miserableism. But volume six actually winds up being the most compelling volume of the series to date as not as the uh as the nazi threat finally makes its way to the united united states coast and it does it in a way that that is you know it's like guilin and get a pull no punches here it is the the initial assault is just bracing bracing depressing and like just just like a, just a real gut punch of, of comics as you, as you see what, what the, uh, what these superpower Nazis is able to do against, say against our, our nation who has no, no, has not yet managed an adequate defense against them. But the thing about Uber is also that, that there's always this delicate balance of tension, this delicate balance of terror in the sense that, you know, you can't quite, like to um to just like to give us a story where like the bad guys are just like murdering everyone. It's like you know it's not like that's that's just I mean that's just um not gonna be fun. I mean it's gonna be like unrealistically depressing. The what makes Uber great is that it gives you you know the awfulness, but it also gives you like the hope and the fight back as well because by the end of the volume you get to see that. Okay, things are things are bad. Things are very bad, but there's a way out. That you know, like we are, we may be able to go and we may be able to win this as well. And that's what really gets gets what gets me at the end. What gets it up here as well? Just that, just that expert balance balance of terror between the awfulness and the hope that that gets me. That um, like that um, that keeps you coming back and wants me. Plus, you know, like, you know, what are the final two volumes of the series gonna gonna be like? So, and then then it brings us to number three, which is a bit of a cheat because it's it contains stories that were published prior to this date, but this is the first time they've been available in print, and that is the Order of the Stick: Good Deeds Gone Unpunished. This is um, the latest volume of Rich Berlue's, um excellent fantasy comic, which I still. I still follow religiously, which is one of like 
really at this point two um, comics that I follow religiously, um, like even in this day and age. And um, well, there are well, well, the um, it's like and while it does contain some stories I haven't I haven't read before, it's like it's like inc- including like the uh, story of like you know Thurkla Thir- um, trying to read the latest volume of her like fantasy fantasy novel. Or Mr. Shreffykins, you know, just like running around doing, doing his thing. The thing that really gets, that really gets it on this list is the story of Ochul, the um, the paladin, the paladin whose wallet reads "I'm um, bad motherfucker." It's like in the series. It's like he is. It's like it's a story of how, it's like of how he was trying, of how he was um given the, like given the, uh, given the order to um saw, to try and find out why these like these hobgoblins are given are attacking it's like this um these um these settlements like out like on the outskirts of Azure City and how he has to deal with a uh has to has to deal with a coward it's like a cow it's like a cowardly recruit, a uh it's like another paladin who is not who is not quite telling the truth about who he really who he really is. It's like and and some hobgoblins who want find up wind up um deal it's like you know, just like strung along for the ride, for the ride as well. It's like while it's like while O'Toole like is the kind of guy who like you know you throw him in if you throw him into like a uh, if you if you have him, if you show him hanging from a uh, like by a rope above a uh, it's like above a uh, um, like a pool filled with filled like um filled with acid with sharks swimming in it who are immune to the acid like he's gonna, he's the kind of guy who's gonna find a way to um get out of it. And look badass in the process as well, but this isn't about him, you know, fighting his way out of it. I mean, he gets his like big badass moment at the very beginning of the story, and the rest of it is him, you know, doing the um hard detective work in order to find out just you know why are these hobgoblins attacking? And it turns out, well, you know, they might actually have a pretty good reason for this, and in fact, it might actually be because you know some humans, some paladins. Like also feel they have they have a good reason for it for it as well. Even it's like completely misguided and they have no no real way of knowing this. So it's like it's a kind of smart storytelling that I that I love to see from the series. It's like and yeah, even if it's like even if like these stories didn't even if like the like the um the main story didn't come out in the same year, it's like I am absolutely gonna re- reward this series you know for for telling for giving us such a great story in print and reminding me and and how i could reread it and be reminded that hell yeah this is fucking great this is why the order of the stick rules so not quite as much though as on my number two pick which is punisher the platoon because you know it's like well while i it's like you know while it's like there's some um writers who like who, like you know, whenever they return to a certain character, that you know, it's it's an event. Like whenever Neil Gaiman returns to write, write the Sandman, it's like hell yeah! It's like that's like oh man, that's exactly what I what I needed in my life. Um, I think after after the Punisher of the Platoon, we can reserve the same status for Garth Ennis and the Punisher because while Ennis's output has been uh, really decidedly uneven over the past couple of years the platoon shows that you know when he puts his mind to it um it's like he can he can still deliver greatness he and and artist gorn 
Goran Parlov, who is who's been who was his um clever in a lot in a lot of his Marvel work over like in recent like in recent years. And the platoon is basically the story of Frank Castle's first tour in Vietnam. And what makes it great is that it not only works as a uh, as a Punisher story, as something that you read this and you can understand. Okay, yeah, I could see how, like you know, how Frank Castle, how Castle got started. It's like you know, on the like on the road to becoming the Punisher after reading this. But it also works as a um, as a great war story as well, as a look at Vietnam at. In terms of like saying like, hey, you know, like here's a here's a here here's America, the superior force that we had everything, and that we we went to a situation that was so completely fucked up that we were going that we were going to lose no matter how, no matter if we had even though we had like you know people as fictionally ultra competent as as Frank Castle running the show there, and there's also some some like you no know, great tricks as well, such as when we find out when we're being told the uh, Vietnamese side of this and then the characters like suddenly go, the characters who are like, you know, talking to our like unseen narrator basically go, wait, wait, how do you, how do you know about this? It's a nice trick to acknowledge like, no, that omniscient third person pers- perspective that we get in these stories. And it's, it's like, and it's, and, and it winds up being a great vehicle to show it's not just like, it's not just like, it's not just a story about how the Americans like you know, saw this this conflict, but how the Vietnamese um, reacted to it as well. So, so yeah, it's like it's the um, Punisher, the platoon. Like it may say Punisher, like in the title, but it's really like a really a, like a, a first rate war story. It's like it's like like um to be it's like as well. So, so yeah, it's like it's. I mean, like, I I can't imagine what. What else um, would draw Ennis back to to the character um, after this? But I be but after, but I would totally be there because it shows because this shows that that Ennis knows the character like no one else. It's like um write, writing him today, yeah. But but in the end, it's like you know it's being punched the platoon kind of like it's like one of the things that shows you that hey you know it's you know like a character that a writer can like a writer and an artist can come back to a character that they defined years ago and to, and and tell us new stories about him as well because you know there's always that worry that you can't go home again that you know it's like you've after you've done your like big like definitive work you know it's like to try and go back to it is just like risk is just risking you know like creating a thing that stories that undermine it and show you make you question like you know well was this really as good as good as I initially thought it was, I mean, you only need to look at, you know, Frank Miller and his subsequent Dark Knight stories to, to see an example of that. But, you know, sometimes there are the creators who can, who can go back, who can like, you know, like, you know, not just who can like, like go back, go back to, to what they've done and not, and fill in the blank, not just fill in the blanks, but do it in a way that, you know, that reminds you like, you know, Wow. This is I remember this is why I love this series so much. This is this is why it's like, you know, it was so great in the first place. The kind the kind of return that makes you go that 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 you know just that not just like, you know, like rounds out the uh the experience, but also it's like but also just like, you know, lets you know it's like, yeah, 
It's like, you know, it's like this really is a classic work. Like, it's like, like, you know, it's going to, that, it, that this, this classic work is as good as I remember. And that's, I, that's what brings me to my first, my number one pick for the year. That will be Stray Bullets, Sunshine and Roses. I've been waiting years since um, David Lapham um, started um, doing this, not really a prequel, but basically an interquel, because basically it comes between the first two volumes of Stray Bullets, where where the first volume introduced us to um, to average um, average kid Orson who falls in love with you know with Beth who was part of the uh, the under the underworld that was established in the first first volume, and um, then in volume two that we finally find that they've gone somewhere out west and we're, and they're living like on the run from the people we met in the first volume and just wondering well how the hell did we get here. Not only does Stray Bullets, Sunshine and Roses tell us the story of how this happened, it tells it in a way that is that is so far like just about the equal of like like of that original like of the original of the original series. Because Stray Bullets, like it's not really, it's never been a realistic series, but it's but um it but it tells but um Latin's storytelling has been such that his confidence in telling you the story. That um, even like it's more out- outrageous aspects, like have you feeling that you know, hey, you don't think this is just so crazy? It might, it could actually happen, and <clears throat> and um, and the way he, it's like the way he tells you, like you know, just how the situ- how the situation in Baltimore, it's like like uh, evolved to the point where like just showing you how Orson fell deeper and deeper into being like you know the kind of kind of crazy outlaw that it's like, you know, that would run off with like that would run off with someone like Beth and just why, you know, Beth, but the risk all to um, save her friend Nina from the story that from the situation she wound up getting herself in. It's like, it's like, it's just like, it's just, it's magical. Really. It's like, it's the kind of thing that, you know, that by all means, like, you know, like shouldn't have worked, but it, but it does. It's like, it's, it's like, it's, it reminds you of everything that I mean, Latham showed showed us in his um, in volume six, like Street Bullets proper, that he that um, it's like that he that he knew that he had to recalibrate his storytelling. It's like and that in order to make this make his return to the series work, and that just carries on to Sunshine and Roses, which I've which I've just devoured every you know vo- volume of this series that's been released this year to the point where wow. It's like, you know, it's like, I mean, volume four is like due out in a couple months and I can't wait. I mean, even like volume three, which could arguably be said as you know, kind of spinning, there's some wheel spinning here, but it's the kind of, it's really, it's, it's the kind of entertaining and insightful wheels, wheel spinning that, you know, it's like, if you're going to do that, then this is how it's going. This is how it should be done. So yeah, straight bullets, I'm trying sunshine and roses is an example of just, you know, this is how to return to a to to a classic series, and I am so glad that it happened, and I'm just very much looking forward to to, to reading to reading how it all how it all wraps up. In fact, it might actually wind up being longer than than Latham's original run of Stray Bullets, but the way things are going right now, I've got no problem with that really. So there you go. So that is the best of the year. 
But you know, what about the worst? Because you know, it's like it hasn't it hasn't always been sunshine and roses. No, in fact, um, there's been some stuff that's really disappointed me, such as like you know, sacred creatures, the um, comics return of Pablo Raimondi with um, like with Klaus Janssen in tow that that um that had like a really like thick release of like. Uh, like of six six issues that were that ran like you know forty eight pages or more per issue, but instead of more being better, more just turned out to be more and just turned out to be like an impenetrable mess. It's like up until it's like up until the final volume where it's like I'm looking at this and thinking, no, I'm not sure. I, like there's no sign of a second of a second series of this issues of this series, and I'm kind of understand why after reading this one. So and then there's stuff like Six Criminals Volume Five, which made the mistake of basically. Uh, basically, assuming that we wanted its a um, main its main villain to go completely unpunished, and it's like it's like um, like in this volume, it's like and no, it's like it's like this is it's kind of that, and also it's like say Batman Detective Comics Volume Six, which just were just the kind of like volumes that made me go, wow, it's like if I'm going to like read the final volumes of your run, then I'm just going to um, I'm going to pay wait for them to be on sale so that I don't have to pay like four or five bucks to find out because nope, not gonna not gonna bother with it with it. You're you guys just failed failed for storytelling and that's really disappointing. So shame on you, um, Matt Fraction, Chip Zarsi, shame on you, um James Tinian and um all the artists who contributed to to um Detective Comics in that in that run right there. Oh and um well some of you may think that, you know, hey, my most disappointing series <clears throat> would be um, Genshin's second season after Steve and I um, like both went to town on it earlier this year. Well, you know, it's like that was a um, really disappointing finish to a series that to a um, to a series that, you know, whose original run I really loved and whose second run spent a um, lot of time, you know, like devoting a lot of energy to making a uh, a, a particular setup try work, even though it was just like not going to. So, and then in the end, it just like its final choice just basically said, "Oh, fuck this." It's like you know, there's like that. It's there's just in the end, just like was really disappointing. It's like you know, it's like you know, I've shit on this and enough. It's like I, it doesn't deserve any more of this. You know, I thought that you know, for everyone. If you listen to this, to me talk about the best best of the year so far, you really deserve something special. It's like for like you know what's like you know what's, what I thought was the worst of the year, and so here, here it is: Anthony Bourdain's Hungry Ghosts. So here here's how it works: Anthony Bourdain um, passed away after committing suicide early this year, and that was a goddamn tragedy by any in regards. After his, like he was a he was a compelling, compelling storyteller, like who, like who entertained um, millions through like through his TV series and his books and just his and just his love of life and cooking. And for him to find out that he that that he killed himself was just wow, um, was just heartbreaking. And um, and it was under this cloud that um, hungry ghosts. Um, the initial offering from Berger Books um, was uh, was collected, 
And so I figured, okay, you know, it's like, I'm, I mean, I had read, and he's, he'd written, co-written some comics with, um, co-writer Joe Rose, um, like get Jiro. And that thought was, yeah, that was okay. Well, I didn't think it was good enough to, to um, to just like prevent me from selling it a while ago. But I thought, okay, well, like Hungry Ghost is like, you know, him team up with artists like, like Francesco Francavilla, Irene Cole, Alberto, Alberto Ponticelli, and Paul freaking Pope to um do like, you know, do modern, do like modern takes on like, you know, Japanese, you know, it's like, it's like a Japanese horse, like um horror stories. And reading this, oh God, they were fucking terrible. It's, it's a story. One first story has like, you know, a guy has a guy, um, you know, like turning away his, like this hungry, hungry homeless person is like, no, not going to not going to feed you. And the hungry, hungry homeless person turns into a giant skeleton. And like the guy runs away and the skeleton eats him. And it's like, before he can get back to his family and the family is like, Oh no, he's been eaten by a skeleton. It's like, what? Then you got like how it's like how, um, like the, uh, in, in, in Pope story, how this, it's like how this guy, uh, this person is like being eat as suffers from having like some sort of like uh, like um, worm inside their their stomach who is eating who is eating stuff and how the doctor has to pull pull it out and then cut it up. But oh no, the doctor doesn't cut it up just right, and the the uh, bits you know kind of let's like live, it's like live on afterwards in the final panel. It's like oh, and then there's one this one guy who runs an inn who sleeps with a. Uh, who sees that they, uh, like, a, it's like a, like a frost spirit. And, um, she, it's like, and then he lot, then he's, then he's like, um, it's like, lies to her, screws about it. I can't remember. And she just like gets angry with him. And, um, it's like, it's like, and sees with him and he dies in the snow. And then, oh, you know, it's like the final, these stories are being like told like by a bunch of like cooks who are, it's like, who, it's like, it's like who are like serving a bunch of like evil, like 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 evil like um people, and then like evil businessmen, and then it's like it's in the end it's revealed that oh no these cooks are just um are just like you know like like spirit evil spirits themselves, and then they go and eat the uh, the businessman. It's like it's dumb, brainless, mindless horror stuff. It's terrible. It's like you know it's like I you know it's like if you told me that that um that that um Bourdain just you know basically just kind of like wrote these wrote the notes of these stories on a cocktail napkin and gave them to to Joel Rose to flesh out or if um like um Rose got this you know just like was just writing this like like having like after having secured um Bourdain's like you know participation and it's I believe that because it's these these are terrible these have none of the wit and imagination that um, Bourdain brought to his, brought to his writing and his and his TV projects, and you know the the um, level of talent that was involved. You could tell these are people who looked at this and thought, like, dude, I'm going to work with Anthony Bourdain. Fuck yeah, I'm in. And then I would like to think that you know, some people looked at this like, wait, wait, this is what I have to draw. Oh, okay. Well, oh, well, I've already said yes, and I've cast a check. Well, might as well do this. It's like it's it's really it's really disgusting and the only reason i didn't write about this um when i it's like 
when when I got my copy of the book is because I felt it would have been disrespectful to like just to just to um talk about talk about this. Um, it's like you know, it's like in light of what happened, not in light of Bourdain's passing earlier this year. So, but you know, it's like I figured like, hey, if you if you listen to to if you if you're listening all the way to the end here, then well, this is your reward. <laughs> so, it's like congratulations right there. So that so that there you go. Did you get my? That's that's my worst of the year. Anthony Bourdain's Hungry Ghosts. He's done lots of better stuff, and you should just remember his memory by watching like some watching some 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 old episodes of 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 No Reservations or Without Borders. So there you go. All right. So, but looking forward to uh, next year. Well, we've got lots of endings. We've got the uh, final volumes of The Wicked and the Vine, hopefully East of West, as well as um, Prison School and um, I Am a Hero. So those are just the ones I can think of the to- off the top of my head. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing if they can deliver. And hopefully maybe one, two, or maybe all of them are going to um, wind up on the best of list next year. I can only hope. Same is the case for for a Marvel's big big event uh, coming in a couple months. A um, War of the Realms, and I'm mentioning this because this is the rare Marvel event where I think the last one they did was um, Secret Wars, because you know that was based that one that one was based based on the build up to Jonathan Hickman's um, run in um, Avengers. But um, War of the Realms is something that, that Jason Aaron has been teasing for years in it's like in his run on in his runs on Thor, and so I'm looking very much looking forward to seeing how he pulls that off, and hopefully seeing like Malekith, um, the Dark Elf, finally get his ass handed to him, it's like in taking like glorious fashion as he's deserved for a, a really fucking long time now. So there you go. So there's probably there's probably more stuff I. That um that I like that I'll, I'll look forward to seeing this year, but it's just going to be a surprise or you know stuff that you know is I can't I can't really recall off the top of my head right now. So there you go, um John, any thoughts on your end about all this or anything that you uh, would, would like to say? Would you like best? me to comment on every single thing that you talked about? <laughs> no, I actually I, I, I've got I, I've I, time. I think. Um, well, I don't, unfortunately, um, but I think that that's a fairly sufficient list, um, for the best and worst of 2018. Do you know what you're going to be talking about next time? Well, it's maybe seem weird, kind of weird to talk about this, talk about this in the, um, in the early days or the dead of February, but next week, um, it's actually going to be about horror. Horror. Mm-hmm. Horror. Yeah. Right. So we'll see, we'll see about that. All right, we'll catch you next time on Common Picks with a Glick. All right, laters.